0: Section 50 of Lay Down Your Arms This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner Translated by Timothy Holmes Chapter 12, Part 5 When Dr. Bresser brought me to Frau Simon, and introduced me to her as a sick nurse, she nodded, but turned away at once to give some order. I was not able to see her features in the dubious light. Five minutes later we were on our journey to Horonewos. A country wagon, which had just brought some wounded from that place, served as our conveyance. We sat upon the straw which was perhaps still bloody from its former freight. The soldier who sat by the driver, held a lantern which threw a flickering light on our road. An evil dream, an evil dream. Such was more and more the impression of what I was going through. The only thing which brought to my mind the reality of my situation, and which at the same time gave me repose, was Dr. Bresser's company. I had placed my hand in his, and his other arm supported me. Lean on me, Baroness Martha, my poor child, he said softly. I did lean on him as well as I could, but what a position of torture it was, when one has been accustomed, during the whole of one's life, to repose upon cushioned seats, carriages on well-hung springs, and soft beds, how heavy it falls on one all at once, after an exhausting day's travel, to be sitting on a jolting country cart, the hard planks of which are cushioned only by a layer of bloody straw. And yet I was uninjured. What then must those have felt who were hurried over stock and stone, in such a conveyance as that, with shattered limbs, and their bones sticking out of their skin? My eyelids closed with a leaden weight. A painful feeling of sleepiness tortured me. Sleep was indeed impossible from the discomfort of my position. Every limb was aching, and from the excitement of my nerves, but the somnolence, which I could not shake off, had the more terrible effect on me thoughts and images as confused as the visions of fever whirled through my brain. All the scenes of horror which the regimental surgeon had described repeated themselves before my spirit, partly in the very words of the narrator, partly as delusions of sight and hearing, called up by those words. I kept seeing the gravediggers shoveling in the dead, saw the hyenas sneaking up, heard the shrieks of those who were being sacrificed in the burning lazaretto and between whiles, words came in as if they were pronounced aloud in the accents of the regimental surgeon, such as carrion-crows, market-folks, sanitary patrols. That, however, did not prevent me from hearing the conversation that was being carried on half aloud by my companions in the cart. A part of the routed army fled to Körngratz, Dr. Bresser said. But the fortress was closed, and the fugitives were fired on from the walls, especially the Saxons, who in the twilight were mistaken for Prussians. Hundreds plunged into the ditches of the fort and were drowned. The flight was checked by the Elbe, and the disorder reached its height. The bridges were so overcrowded by horses and cannon that the infantry could find no room. Thousands flung themselves into the Elbe, even the wounded. It must be a horrible state of things at Horanowas, said Frau Simon, all abandoned by its inhabitants, village and castle, the whole of the inner rooms destroyed, and yet filled with helpless, wounded men. What joy will the refreshments we are bringing give the wretched men! But it will not be enough, not enough. And our medical aid is also not enough, added Dr. Bresser. There should be a hundred of us, in order to do what is required. We are in want of instruments and medicines. And would even these help us? The overcrowding of these places is such as to threaten the outbreak of dangerous epidemics. The first care is always this, to send away as many wounded as possible. But their condition is usually such that no conscientious man would take the responsibility of their transport. To send them off means to kill them. To leave them there means to introduce hospital gangrene. A sad alternative. The horrors and miseries I have seen in these days since the Battle of Connogratz exceed all conception. You must prepare yourself for the worst, Frau Simon. I have the experience of many years and courage. The greater the misery, the higher rises my determination. I know your fame has preceded you. I, on the contrary, when I see so much misery, feel all my courage sink, and it strikes me to the heart. To hear hundreds, nay, thousands, of men in want of help, praying for help, and not to be able to help, it is hideous. In all these ambulances which have been set up in the most hasty way around the field of battle, we have been in want of restoratives. Above all things, there is no water." Most of the wells around have been made unserviceable by the inhabitants. Far and wide there is not a piece of bread to be obtained. All rooms that have a roof over them, churches, country houses, chateaux, huts, are all filled with sick. Everything in the shape of a carriage has been sent off with its load of wounded. The roads in all directions are covered with such carts of hell, for in truth the sufferings carried by those wheels are hellish there they lie officers petty officers soldiers disfigured by dirt and dust and blood till they are unrecognizable with wounds for which there is no human help available uttering cries of pain shrieks which are hardly human and yet those who can still cry are not the most pitiable then many die on the way certainly or after they are unloaded, they finish quietly and unobserved on the first bundle of straw on which they have been left to die. Some quietly, but others raving and raging, in a desperate fight with death, uttering such curses as might make your hair stand on end. It must have been curses like these that Mr. Twining of London heard, who made the following proposal at the Geneva Conference. Would it not be well if the condition of a wounded man leaves not the slightest hope of recovery, in such a case to give him first the consolations of religion, then, as far as the circumstances allow, leave him a moment for reflection, and then put an end to his agony in the least painful way possible. This would prevent his dying a few moments later with fever in his brain, and perhaps blasphemies against God on his tongue. How unchristian! cried Frau Simon. What, to give him the coup de grace? No, but the idea that a blasphemous expression wrung from the soul of a man in the midst of unbearable tortures could imperil his soul. The Christian's god is not so unjust as that, and assuredly will take every fallen warrior into his grace. Mohammed's paradise was assured to every Muslim man who would kill a Christian. "'replied Bresser. "'Believe me, my dear Frau Simon, "'all those deities who have been represented "'as leaders of war, "'and whose assistance and blessing "'the priests and commanders promise "'as the wages of murder, "'all of them are as deaf to blasphemies as to prayers. "'Look up there, that star of the first magnitude, "'with reddish light. "'It is only seen twinkling, "'or rather shining, for it does not twinkle over our heads, every second year. That is the planet Mars, the star dedicated to the God of War, that God who was so feared and reverenced in old times, that he had by far more temples than the goddess of love. Of old, on the field of Marathon, in the narrow pass of Thermopylae, that star shed a bloody light on the battles of men, and to him rose up the curses of the fallen who accused him of their misfortune while he, indifferent and peaceful, then, as now, was circling round the sun. Hostile stars, there are no such things. Man has no enemy except man, but he is savage enough. And no other friend, either, added Bresser, after a short pause. Of that you yourself are giving an example, magnanimous lady. You are— Oh, doctor, interrupted Frau Simon. Look there, that flame on the horizon. It is surely a village in flames. I opened my eyes and saw the red glare. No, said Dr. Bresser, it is the moon rising. I tried to get into a more comfortable position, and sat up for a time. I kept constantly preventing myself from closing my eyes, for that state of half-slumber with the consciousness of not being asleep, in which the most horrible fancy pictures carried on their wild procession, was far too painful. Better to take part in the conversation of the other two, and tear myself away from my own thoughts. But the gentleman and lady were dumb. They were looking towards the place where now the luminary of night was really rising. And again, in spite of me, my eyes closed for a space. This time it was sleep. In the one second during which I felt that I was going to sleep, that the world around me was ceasing to exist, I felt such a delight in annihilation. That the brother of my benefactor death would have been quite welcome to me i do not know how long a space i passed in this negatively happy state of removal from existence but i was torn out of it suddenly and forcibly it was no noise no shock that woke me but a vapor of intolerably poisoned air what is that the others called out the same question at the same time as i did Our wagon turned round a corner, and at the side of the way we found the answer. Brightly lighted by the moon, there stood up a white wall, probably of a church. Anyhow, it had served as a cover from gunshot. At its foot, heaped up, lay numerous corpses. It was the smell of putrefaction which rose up from their dead bodies that had broken my sleep as we drove by a thick crowd of ravens and crows rose screaming from the heap of dead fluttered for a time as a black cloud against the clear background of the sky and then settled down again to their feast frederick my frederick calm yourself baroness martha said Bresser, consolingly your husband could not have been present there the soldier who was driving had pressed his team on in order to get away the quicker from the neighborhood of the mephitic vapour. The conveyance clattered and jolted as if we were in wild flight. I thought the horses had run away. Trembling fear took hold on me. With both hands I clasped Bresser's arm, but I could not help turning my head back to look there, at that wall. And was it the deceptive light of the moon? Or was it the movements hither and thither of the birds as they came back to their booty? I thought that the whole troop of the dead rose up, and that the corpses all stretched their arms towards us and made ready to pursue us. I would have shrieked, but my throat was closed by fear and would not obey my impulse. End of section fifty. Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks.